Nearly every night, our three-year-old Zeke asks for a graham cracker, apple juice, and a Bible story. And so we sit there on the caramel-colored couch, side by side, flipping through the, the pages. Uh, the crumbs from his tiny teeth, they cascade into the, the crevices between the cushions of the couch. Or they gather like a, a necklace of whole wheat flour there on top of his fire truck pajamas. And I'll start with a story that we haven't read yet, kind of in hopes that maybe I can actually get through a quarter of it or an eighth of it uh, at this window of opportunity without him interrupting me. And uh, a few days ago, we actually finished the, the Old Testament. We finally made it to the New Testament in a family treasury, classic Bible stories. It was a, a gift from a, a family at church, apparently for... 1349 at Kmart. But I'll tell you what, every 1349 of those pennies plus tax was worth it because Zeke has essentially he's memorized at least the basic gist of every single Old Testament story depicted in a family treasury classic Bible stories. And so, I mean, it's just amazing, I think, to, to see a, a three-year-old who's, you know, able to do this. Unfortunately, he can't poop yet in the potty. Instead, he likes to go in his T-Rex underwear. But uh, every night, we'll sit there together on the couch, and I'll say, all right, Zeke, uh, let's let's flip to the first page. What, what's this story about? And he'll say, God created. All right, how about the next one? Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. Next page, Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden. Next up, tell me, tell me what this story is all about. He says, Cain brought vegetables and Abel brought a sheep. And, and that's as far as we've gotten with that story because like, I, I just don't really know if I should reinforce the, the line. And when they were far away, Cain killed Abel. And then we go on to the next one, Noah and the animals on the ark. And he'll say, ooh, look at that dove. And, and so on and so on. It keeps going. Who's this? What's this story about? Oh, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah's laughing because God told her she's going to have a baby. Sodom and Gomorrah. Ah, uh, well, yeah, we, uh, we skipped that story and we, we move forward to a new one like, uh, oh, this one right here. Uh, the Israelites enslaved. He'll say, oh, those are the the Hebrew swaves and the Egyptian taskmaster. He'll ask me, what is the Egyptian taskmaster holding in his hand? I'm like, well, it's like a, a whip. I, I don't really need, I think, to go into detail about that with you, a, a three-year-old. But then we'll go on to the next story. What's, what's happening here, Zeke? And he'll say, well, baby Moses in a basket, Egyptian princess, Egyptian women. What, why is he in the basket? And we'll go forward to a story like the, this, where, where Moses is with the people at the beach going through the water. Moses and the Ten Commandments, he has no idea what the Ten Commandments are, but he knows that that's what Moses happens to be holding up. He, he loves this next one. The walls of Jericho came crumbling down and, and he'll say, oh, look at that smoke. And I'll ask him, well, how did the walls fall? Who knocked them down? He'll say... The ward, Gideon, he's blowing his horn, and then he'll, he'll go on to this next one. he say, that's you, Dada, or Samson. And then his favorite one right here, roof 
and, and so on and so forth. It goes so cute, right? Well, maybe you like, give me a break, dude. You're just like bragging on your kid. But the problem I had with this, a family treasury, classic Bible stories. The problem I had is that it's hardly family friendly. Like, what do I do with all the stories of Cain killed Abel or God destroyed the world or Joseph's brothers planned to kill him or Pharaoh told the Egyptians to throw all the Hebrew baby boys into the Nile River? Like, what do I do with the death of the firstborn and the drowning of the Egyptian armies and Jericho crumbling like a graham cracker? What do I do with the suicide of Samson? And then when it comes to David, like, man, don't even get me started. But like, I guess it's the Bible. So I just, I just read it. But it's not a kid's story, a family treasury. Hardly. I mean, not so sure about that. That is, unless we come to see the Bible as not some sanitized, pretty picture of an idealized, make-believe world, but rather a collection of stories about real flesh and blood people like me, and maybe like you, who don't always have it all together, but who try to serve a God who does. And I think that's what faith is actually made of. And today, as we continue with our sermon series called Greater, where we're exploring the theology of the book of Hebrews, that's precisely what we're talking about, what faith is actually made of. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 begins, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, for it is the evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, faith gives us a way of seeing the world, of framing our existence. It's this fundamental trust in God that forms a basis for everything. Like like no matter how unseen or crazy the outcome may seem, faith refuses to let go. It's like a a German shepherd or a, a moray eel. And the people of faith, they dare to believe in, and more importantly, dare to act upon the world that God intends. You know, it's, it's a bold approach, but faith has never been easy. Faith has never been easy, and trusting in God is sometimes not always the obvious choice. But verse 2 says, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. It is, it's what set them apart. It's what set them above the crowd. It was their faith. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. It's what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It's faith that enables this understanding. It's faith that enables this insight even into the complexities of things like physics or biology or zoology, electromagnetism, thermodynamics, and words that are big and long and hard to spell, let alone define with Google. But it's by faith, not simply cosmological arguments, that we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That God spoke to nothing and nothing heard it and became something what we now see. And as Hebrews 11 continues, we see from Abel, who believed that not just any old offering 
would do all the way down to the faithful people who refused to blend in to the the pagan background, we see a, a huge list of people, a huge list of people who had faith that what they could not see was not only more vital, but also more reliable than what they could see. Now, that's crazy to think about like what you cannot see being more vital, more important, and also more reliable than what you can see. But I also think it's a good reminder, a good reminder that you're not the first to have to live by faith. You know, you're, you're part of a long and courageous line. Anything you're going through, it's already been experienced. And more, like, like your sin is nothing new. Your struggle, you're not the first person to ever have gone through something like that. Those people, they weren't discouraged. And you shouldn't be either. For look what faith can do. Verse 4, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. As Zeke said, Cain brought vegetables and Abel brought a sheep. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, thanks to Cain, I appreciate that, bro, he still speaks to us by his example of faith because faith enables us to be givers. Verse 5 says, It was by faith that Enoch, you know, this mysterious character in Genesis who gets like, what, four, four lines mentioning him, he was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Now, now that's something, isn't it? You may say, but I'm a, I'm a CEO of a major corporation, you know, a, a nonprofit organization that really, really seeks to put an end to the sex trafficking industry. Or, or you may say, well, I'm a, I'm a passionate charismatic preacher and, and leader and influencer. That's, that's great. Great for you, you know. But it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And faith enables us to please God. And that's crazy. That's crazy when you begin to think about it, to be in constant contact and connect with the creator and the sustainer of all, the one who fashions the rotational center of our, gra- our galaxy with a supermassive black hole of 4.1 million solar masses. He, he's also the God who embeds in each and every one of us as much genetic information that could be contained in 50 novels. I'd say that's pretty cool, that he wants something to do with me. Wow. Verse 7 says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. Like, less of a yacht, more of a container ship, you know, like the kind, say, that have have trouble turning in places like the Suez Canal. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, Noah's act of faith 
it drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world, that faith enables us to obey. Verse 8 says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Like no Google Maps, no GPS, no Waze, no TripAdvisor to check out the traveler photos or, or the reviews of Canaan. Just a promise from a God that was different than his polytheistic mini-God background. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. So faith enables us to do the crazy. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So faith enables us to look forward. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. So faith enables us to believe that God keeps his promises. Even like with, with Sarah, I mean, like how old was she? Like 35, 40, 45 years old? No, like try doubling that. She was an ancient mama. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such thing are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Some, uh, some 19 years before he published The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis finally experienced what we might call a conversion. Before, as an atheist or as an agnostic, he had searched for years, longing for something that he couldn't find, looking for something more, something beyond. He actually uh, put a word to it. He called this experience northernness. Northernness. And, and now when I hear northernness, I think of snow, I think of mountains, I think of huskies, I think of ice fishing. But northernness, in C.S. Lewis' words, was an indescribable intensity of heartbreak longing. Something vital to life that's been lacking all along. But when he found it, it was joy. Northernness, I think, is similar to Israel's experience like hoping and longing for something more, for something beyond. It's what we may experience in ourselves as we look forward to a new country, a better place, a heavenly homeland, this northernness. It's faith that enables us to look forward with this longing of already here, but not yetness. Verse 17 says, 
It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. I mean, he's the promised child, the one on whom all the future generations hinge and depend. Like, you don't want to screw this up. But evidently, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. I mean, that's logical, right? (laughs) And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Faith enables us to offer to God what is most precious to us. Also, to believe that God has impossible, that is not possible, impractical, not practical, unbelievable, not believable, death-defying power. Verse 20 says, It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. So faith enables us to bless others. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Like, don't leave me hanging here. It's going to get crazy with Cleopatra and mummies and stuff. But faith enables us to prophesy, to see and speak to the current context and to the future forward. And here we are taking a breath at 22 verses into the chapter. And we're still here talking about the faithful people in Genesis, in in the very first book of the Bible. And it's like almost that you don't have to look very far to find good examples of faith. For some, these are, are moments where extra faith was necessary. Like they're ordinary people made extraordinary by their faith. But, you know, faith didn't always immediately bring immediate outcomes. Like faith isn't always like Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning, where what you've hoped for finally arrives there under the tree. No, sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's a long time coming. Sometimes it's easy to forget about the importance of simple faithful steps, everyday, ordinary decisions of choosing God over everything else. You know, refusing to let go, no matter how unseen or crazy the outcome may seem. Daring to believe in, and more importantly, daring to act upon the world that God intends. It's a bold approach. It's never been easy, and trusting God sometimes never is the obvious choice. But I think that we'll see that it's worth it. Verse 23 says, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, apparently one that that doesn't cry. And And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command because faith enables us to resist. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. And that's interesting. That part about how he suffers for the sake of Christ. That's clearly a New Testament interpretation looking back on the Old Testament and seeing the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on every page, realizing that the work of Jesus stretches back and also looks forward, and that faith enables us to endure. It enables us to empathize and also to share in the suffering of others. No matter what our background looks like, despite the pigmentation of our skin or our ethnic or economic backgrounds or differences, our faith enables us to endure and to empathize and to share in the suffering of others. Verse 27 says, It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Faith enables us to be unafraid. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Faith enables us to be prepared. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. Faith enables us to experience the miraculous. And now as we move on from the second book of the Bible, Exodus, we, we, we go fast forward to Joshua. Verse 30 says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Faith enables us yet again to see the miraculous again and again, over and over. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, who is uh, coincidentally not mentioned in the family treasury classic Bible stories, but Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Faith enables us to switch sides to go from an enemy to a friend. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. I mean, we, we touched on Genesis. We breezed over Exodus. We skipped the rest of the Pentateuch and barely dabbled in Joshua. There's so, so, so much more. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them, like Joshua. They shut the mouths of lions, like Daniel, quenched the flames of fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped death by the edge of the sword, like David, Elijah, Elisha, and Jeremiah. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight, like Saul and David and the other kings. Women received their loved ones back again from death, perhaps an allusion to the Maccabeans' struggle. You know, all of the, the good stories, the good news, I once was blind, but now I see the stuff that testimonies are made of. But then there's also the real down-to-earth reality when maybe the miracle we hoped for was late in coming, but others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. 
They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Like, like, wait, wait a second. I, I, I didn't sign up for any of that. Like, like someone conned me into it because the prosperity preacher said, uh, with Jesus, I would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, my youth group leader said that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Like, where's all this tough stuff, bad news on the Christian ShamWow commercials? You know, the Christian infomercials, if, if they were honest for a moment. Like, are you seeking a better life? Ready to be tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free? Are you looking to be jeered at with your backs cut open with whips, chained up in prisons? Call now if you're ready to be stoned to death, sawed in half, or killed with a sword. Don't wait. You can even dress in animal skins, be destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. Like sometimes, sometimes we don't quite count the cost or even realize that following Jesus is more than a self-help option. This Christianity stuff, it's not about the new you. It's, it's not about a better life or how to win friends and influence people. And I wish that we would just be honest about it. That it's the only way, truth, and life, and life to the full. Whatever the cost and whatever may come, verse 39 says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received what God, well, all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And here's the point. There's something better up ahead. Something with that northernness shimmer of heartbreaking longing. Something so perfect. Our definitions of perfection are imperfectly, are perfectly imperfect about. And yet, like I look at this list, this shining list of individuals from the Old Testament, and I, I see these heroes of faith, and I look back and I think, yeah, well, you know, they were just, they were different. They were different. Probably had it all figured out along with supermassive black holes, electromagnetism, and thermodynamics, not to mention words too big and long and hard to spell. But then again, maybe not. Maybe not. I bet you Abraham didn't know that 4,000 years later, people might be admiring his example. I don't, I don't think Moses grew up thinking he'd be a prophet and hero to the Israelite people. After all, he didn't even get started until he was like 80 years old. So, huh. If you're 80, I mean, that's like the new 20. Get ready. You're not finished yet. I mean, they're real human beings, each with as much genetic information that could be contained in 50 novels. They're, they're living real lives in the real world like, like we are. 
reacting like we might to the circumstances in which they found themselves. It's not some sanitized, pretty picture of an idealized, make-believe world. No, the biblical story presents its heroes of faith with warts and all, not to mention dramatic failures too, even in the shiny list of Hebrews 11. For instance, Abel got murdered for what he brought to the barbecue. Enoch was a goner. Noah was a faithful woodworker, but also a blackout naked drunk. Abraham was a cowardly liar. Sarah was jealous. Isaac most likely had daddy issues. Jacob was a conniving trickster and cheat. Joseph, eh, he, he was all right. Like he was pretty tight actually, but the allegations against him, whew. Moses was a killer and a fugitive. Rahab was a treasonous prostitute. Gideon worshipped idols. Barak, the brave warrior, was scared to go at it alone. Samson was a buff pyromaniac but was duped by his boo. Jephthah made a stupid promise that cost his daughter's life. David, like, where do I even start? Samuel had out-of-control sons and all the prophets... Like, which ones, are we, which ones are we talking about? Like, the dude who complained all the time, or the one who was a nudist for three years, or the one who ate bugs and wore camel's fur like some hippie or wacko Instagram influencer. Warts and all. Warts and all, but examples of faith. Because despite their all-too-human failings, they kept on reaching toward the vision of God's future whether they were disadvantaged or powerless, whether they were second-tier sons where wealth and, and authority went to the eldest, whether they were women in a world stacked against them, whether they were born into slavery or sold into it, whether they were resident aliens or prisoners deported to a foreign country, whether they faced temptations of power or daunting military odds whether they experienced utter defeat and exile or hostility and threats from within, God's people pressed on and held on like a German shepherd or like a moray eel. For faith has always had to make its way in the grit and adversity of the real world. And so must we. It's a line, it's a sentence that we all have the opportunity to fill in, that it was by faith that I what? It was by faith that I, what? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him that's you and me and the people of this world. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Our faith, it's not in vain. You know, we, we may not see the whole picture yet, but we trust that God is working out something greater than we can ever imagine. Not only for us, but for all humanity. 
though we may not see much evidence here on the ground where we spend our days chained to the job or cleaning poop out of T-Rex underwear, we hold on to the conviction of something greater. And we try to work toward it wholeheartedly with every pulse, every inhale, every exhale, with every thought and word and action. Because faith is not really about accepting 20 impossibilities before breakfast. It's about doing things that change you. Abraham got up and left home. Moses turned his back on royal privilege. Jesus laid down his life. In doing these things, they changed not only their lives, but they changed the world. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that Peter, who's the oldest of the siblings, he did not feel very brave. Indeed, he felt he was going to be sick. But that made no difference to what he had to do. And I think that's what faith is actually made of. It was by faith that I, what? It felt uh, like being at the center of a supermassive black hole. Not that I was at the rotational center of the galaxy surrounded by 4.1 solar masses, 4.1 million solar masses. No, instead I, I felt quite swallowed up entirely. It was stupid, shameful. You know, the kind of shame that seeps out your pores and leaves you feeling hollow and empty in your guts. Embarrassed. Face flushed like a long day in direct sunlight. No SPF 30, 40, 50. No, no zinc oxide to shield me from the burning failure. What would they say? What would they think? I'm no good. I don't know if I ever was. It's all paper mache anyway. Like, what, what was I thinking? Trusting my gut? It occurs to me, like, trusting your gut is actually allowing millions of bacteria to collectively make a crucial decision for you. And maybe you've been there before whatever it was, however long ago, whenever you were there, feeling far or guilty or even worthless. But I've learned something from Hebrews 11. There are few plaster saints in Scripture. There are few without failure. They've all got warts and insecurities, and anxieties, and weaknesses, and mistakes, and all. But I want us to know, I I need us to know today, that we, like them, are real human beings, each with as much genetic information that could be contained in 50 novels. And our stories are not defined by the stupid. They're not defined by the shameful or the embarrassing failure. There's so much more to the story that you are not too far for God to reach, that you are not too guilty for God to forgive, that you are not too worthless for God to love. So how do your pages turn? It was by faith that I, what? 
Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you give us time and time again to be faithful to you. I pray, Lord, that we would respond with acts of faith. Lord, that our lives would be characterized by your love and your goodness and that we would act accordingly in this world how you have acted toward us. Generous, giving, hopeful, not fearing the things that await us, but Lord, approaching them with faith. So I pray, Lord, that even when we feel sick, even when we feel tired, even when we feel like giving up, that we would not, that we would remain firm and put our trust and our hope in you. We want to love you and serve you, Lord. We want to give our lives to you and your cause. I pray, Lord, for people who want to experience you for the first time, that they would open up their hearts and say, Jesus, it's time. I want you to come in. I want to have faith that you are the Savior of the world. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. So come into my life. I want to follow you all the days. In Jesus' name, amen.